0: You were listening to episode 270 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by
1: Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we pal around in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge.
0: So this week we're playing Power World.
1: Like everyone else.
0: Like everyone else, yeah. But so way uh,
1: less time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Far less time uh, than anybody else, but I think we got the gist of it, right? So um, it's all about the gist here at the Game Deflators, exactly. So uh, I mean, you're not gonna get a full blown review here today. We're gonna give our initial impressions and uh, go from there. But first, you can find the Game Deflators on the Game Deflators out of date website. You can find us on YouTube. Just find the Game Deflators on there. Uh, we got old podcast episodes, unboxings, all that good stuff. We gotta do an unboxing still of that D and D book um, set. Uh, you can also find us on uh, YouTube Music. Actually, Game Inflators is on there. Um, any podcast application uh, will have us. So leave a five-star review. Social media at Game Inflators on X and at the Game Inflators on Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. Are, and like, then three threads
1: posts. Leave us a comment right now. Let us know your first impressions. This is this is as much as we played Power World. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, all right, man. So let's go into our recent pickups that we had and, uh, I didn't have any, well, I guess I did have a game pickup. I picked up pal today, uh, day of recording, um, or pal world, I should say. Uh, but I did get the dark souls, uh, complete collection comic book series. So it's a uh, Titan comics. Uh, really it has all of the dark souls comics in one book. So pretty cool compendium. And then I also got the Animal Castle graphic novel, like, or compendium as well, like the first hard book of the the comics. So everybody knows what Dark Souls is, but Animal Castle, if you've read Animal Farm, then you would know that this is a, like, comic series that takes place after Animal Farm, and it kind of picks up where things left off and uh, has a story of the animals and their castle. Yeah, that sounds
1: like a crazy tale
0: dude it's so good and like the fact that it kind of like mimics not mimics i mean it's really you read the you know the preamble part it talks about how it's uh dictatorship and communism and all these other things and uh takes the form of animals and you have i think it's i forgot if i recall it's a pig named napoleon yeah and he pretty much like helps to raise the uh, farm animals against the farmer and all this other stuff and help them escape and then he turns it into like this communist society. And the entire thing is, like, against that. The book was written in, like, 1947, I think, or 1948. So it's pretty cool to have seen this kind of come out uh, many years later. So that's what I got for that. Um, what I'm currently playing, I you'll be happy to know, I continued to play uh, Tales of Symphonia. Yay. So with Tales of Symphonia, I it was actually really cool, the whole scene. And I was really invested in it last night when I was playing. So I go to Palm Costa and we're told that we have to go um to one of the shrines basically and so we get to that location and the guy's like no nope, it's going to cost you 100 million gold to be able to go up you got to get me a special statue and we'll kind of go from there i'll get you a ticket and then you can kind of go up and then it turns out he has the book um that the chosen is supposed to be looking at so we're like all right cool so we go to like one of these in between places right where you can rest i forget the name of the, of the- place of what it's called it's like the giant hut that has a statue and you can pray to martel and everything there and rest and you know it's kind of a in-between house type yeah. of deal and so we get there and they're like oh yeah um door has asked that you come back or mayor Dor has asked that you come back because uh these individuals have been kidnapped on this pilgrimage and we need you to rescue them. you go to rescue him turns out it's a trap the door is set up and um when you go to confront him about it that was ryan's phone if you heard it uh, so when you go to confront uh, he it turns out that he's working with the designs this entire time because they captured his wife and uh, she's been turned into one of the monsters and that they'll give him a special medicine if he continues to give them money and like contribute to their um, to their human ranches or human ranch farm, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And then one of the, I forget the name of the like evil god that helps with the designs, but uh, his daughter had been killed a long time ago by designs. And his daughter stabs him to kill him. It turns out it's like this demon creature and there's no cure. And the wife is just going to stay as is. So like really just this heartfelt, terrible story that's occurred. But it was just really cool to see like that whole interaction. And like it kind of closed the loop really quick, you know, for that whole Palm Costa. And it sets it up for like Lloyd and the others to be extremely pissed off about the situation. Everything that's occurred uh, to his family, to his city, and will continue to occur unless something is done. So now... We're in the mindset of like well it's time to go attack the ranch basically so yeah. that's where i stopped last night i'm i'm liking it dude i'm having a blast of it and then, funny enough i, I messaged my brother because he played it years ago i'm like oh take a look at what i'm playing he's like oh i just beat that last month actually nice. like rebeat it so uh it's kind of cool um to dive into this game for the first time and experience it as a net new title and uh, i'm excited to see where it goes from here and then uh, i guess in regard to playing as well um, played in a magic tournament again on, um, Friday and I ended up winning that. So I was telling you earlier. So I played a Bant poison, which apparently is now, dude, I'm like, I'm hitting all of these, um, spec buys like pretty quick, like no kidding. So like the March of Swirling Missiles telling you about where you can phase out the monsters. I bought foil versions of that card like six months ago or whatever it was for maybe 75 cents a piece. They're now like four or five dollars a piece for a non-foil version, like little cards like that. I, I bought a black card the other day called like Preacher of Schism. I bought them at like fifty cents or twenty-five cents a card. They're five bucks a piece now. Dang! So like all of these cards are going up four. So or you're five really hundred... reading the line. Yeah, I think I'm doing a pretty good job of these spec buys and like what's in the market. So I'm excited to see like what the car or Carnov, um, I think it is, Murder at Carnov. Oh, Murder at Carnov Manor. Yeah, yeah which... I'm
1: excited for that. That's going to be a cool set. They're... I'll be interested to see how those uh, new play packs work.
0: Yeah, me too. And then bringing Wither back is also really cool in Magic. I'm excited to see Wither uh, back in gameplay. Uh, that's I don't think be... I've
1: ever played with Wither.
0: So Wither, deal, your creatures deal combat damage in negative one, negative one calories. Oh, no,
1: I have dealt with that one.
0: Yeah, and so when you have people that are like, oh, yeah, my creature's indestructible. You can't beat it. It's like, okay, cool. Well, your 5-5 five, five indestructible
1: goes against my... feel like that doesn't my... come up that often. Uh, it, it indestructible does. is probably like the one that... I mean, you play way more than I do. I feel like indestructible is like one of the least tags that I've seen on cards. Well, not really. There's like several cards that are
0: out now or that came out in the Kawigama block or Kamigawa set that came out and uh there it's like a, a great one set. green and your creature gets hexproof and indestructible right so there are cards that do that now exile obviously handles indestructible stuff with no problem but um when it comes to like one-on-one indestructible withers fantastic so yeah. i'm excited for that and to see what comes with that but uh yeah so i played Bamp poison which is really cool um it's basically uh it's now a top four deck like it's definitely tier one style deck and It's just like aggro poison with the ability to kind of use different cards to proliferate poison counters and get the 10 counters a lot quicker than normal. And uh, yeah, I liked it, dude. It was a lot of fun playing with that. I think the next thing I'm going to play is Rakdos Reanimator. I'm going to have to borrow some cards from some of the guys I play with uh, at the store um, to do that. But I've got, I would say like out of the 60 cards, I'm missing like eight or not even that, like six. So it'll be pretty cool to play with that too. Um, but yeah, that's where I am with that. Nice. So,
1: uh, did you pick up anything? So this was a weird week for me for gaming stuff, mostly because it was AGDQ, and I watched that pretty much all week as much as I could to get in as many runs. Uh, so I didn't make a whole lot of time for gaming. I did pick up Yakuza zero on game pass and started that up just to check it out. Um, So, funny thing, Game Pass this week. So, obviously, we're playing PAL World, which is available on Game Pass, but not at the tier that I'm subscribed to. And I didn't want to up-subscribe just for PAL World. Um, But also, Game Pass, like any other subscription service, and this will kind of tie into some things we're talking later, you know, they cycle in and out what's available on there. So, I had this great idea about two weeks ago. I was like, you know, hey, it's the beginning of the year. I don't know what to play right now. You know, Bug Fables is no longer on Game Pass. What's on here that I could play? John, for a third time, I booted up Persona 4 Golden. Oh, my God. Yep.
0: Is that even on the list here? Oh, you were surprising me at that time. Funny story.
1: Yeah. So I was going to try to play through all of Persona 4 quietly without saying anything about it and then be like ha i beat persona 4 kind of like when i did uh pokemon Pokemon. yeah 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 but it it dropped off a game pass on tuesday how long was it on there for uh like since i've since it got put on there i think was like maybe a year ago or more
0: oh okay yeah
1: but it's like i hadn't even downloaded it to play it until like two weeks ago so i played it for like a week and a half i got like 12 hours in And then they took it away, and I was like, "I'm not paying twenty dollars for this right now. (laughs) This will make a good story." So just know, at any time in the future, I might beat Persona Four. Hey, you might surprise everyone. You might beat Blues Clues too. We didn't beat that technically. So uh, I picked up Yakuza Zero to just try playing something else instead, because we wanted to just kind of hang tight and play games one night. And it was pretty fun to start. I mean, I only got through, like, the first hour or so, and it was a lot of cutscenes and things. But uh, so far, it seemed pretty interesting. I don't know how far I'll actually go with it. I haven't revisited it since I played it that one night. Um, and then, what else? Oh, yeah. So, AGDQ. I just want to talk about that a little bit during my what I played this week time. There were some amazing runs this year that are totally worth checking out. Uh, The first one that really stands out, and I mean, there were so many that I've forgotten a bunch of great ones, I'm sure. Uh, Peanut Butter the dog played and beat Gyromite. So (laughs) his owner, who came back later in the week and did his own speed run, he has this uh, Shiba Inu named Peanut Butter. And he made this custom-like controller because Gyromite was uh, like Rob the Robot game, and so you would use Rob to control the game. And it's just kind of like a you're putting, you're hitting the blue button to make the blue pipes go down, or releasing it to make them go back up, or the same thing for the red button and the red pipes. So he just has his dog like paw on the pad, and then release get a treat. he got him all the way through the game. It was fantastic. The first dog to to speedrun a game. I have to watch
0: that. I got to watch that for sure.
1: Yeah, it was so good. Uh, The next one that I saw that was truly amazing and probably worth like a sub on Twitch. Um, I can't remember. I didn't write down his name. Um, I think it was like Drumstar or something like that. But he did a drum percent Mario 64 speedrun. He's this crazy drummer guy who got somebody to help him out over the internet and hook his drum kit up to an N64 for controls. And he did a 16 star speed run with like backward long jump tech and all the things that you would see. He did a 16 star run in 24 minutes on a drum set.
0: Jesus.
1: Yeah. It was incredible.
0: Yeah. I got to watch this.
1: Yeah. That was great. And it just, it opened my mind up and I was like, you know what, in the future, like, the easier it becomes to link technology to other things, you could get people playing games in ways that we never imagined. Like, imagine doing, like, a flute speed run. Like, if you could hook up a drum, you could probably hook up a flute. Pretty sure they have electronic flutes. So it's like there's probably no end to what you could control a game with and just use your own skills that you have to get there. What
0: about an electronic ocarina to beat Ocarina of Time? I'm sure it could be done. We called it out here first. Yeah, if it so hasn't already been done.
1: Those were uh, those were two of the weirder, more amazing ones. And then uh, one that really stuck out to me too from the last day. So there was a bid war between doing a O or... And Elden Ring. And Elden Ring won. And he did it in like... Gosh, I think it was like 25 minutes or less. Jeez. Uh, No combat. It's just all using like uh, zip glitches to like just zip from one part of the map to the other. And the floor drops out and the boss just dies.
0: Oh, I've seen that one.
1: Yeah, it was incredible. He got like all the way through the game with like no combat. Just going into corners and poking at a wall or a, a space and then flying across the map. It was incredible.
0: That's hilarious, man. Yeah, I got to watch some of those. There's probably some really good ones that I didn't see.
1: Yeah, I mean, they that raised... That I have seen, though. Yeah, they raised a ton of money. Uh, they played a lot of great games. It was so cool to see a lot of... Now that I've been watching it for a number of years and I've gone back and watched VODs on a bunch of videos from past uh, events that I have you know didn't get the chance to see live... It's cool seeing like some of these games evolve and seeing some of the same people come back and just how much this event has grows and kind of what's behind the scenes at some of it. I would really love to be able to go to one at some point. And I really, I don't know, every time I watch these, like the way these people talk about the games and getting into it and it just seems like such a fun thing that I would like to really try to find something. So I don't know if anybody listening has any suggestions. I know they say to start with something that you really like. But what I really want that I'm looking for a framework for is probably something like retro that's like a little bit easier to like play or emulate on something. You know just to get the hang of it or or work with it or whatever. But maybe something that's got like a, a decent like introductory start time of like 20 to 30 minutes. And then, like, an ideal time of, like, 15 or under. That way I can, like, start with something that's, like, I I just don't want to try doing a speedrun that's going to take me two hours to sit down and do once I've optimized it. Because that means that I'll be starting at, like, eight hours before then. See if you can do uh, Jaws on the NES. Jaws on the NES. I was thinking about Blue's Clues, honestly. I don't know how long that game is or who runs it. But maybe I can get a Blues to Clues uh, speedrun going. So uh, that'd be a hilarious They did actually. a Bluey at, uh, this year. I don't know if your son watches Bluey, but... We do. We're familiar with it. Yeah, so th- they did a Bluey speedrun.
0: Nice. Um, <laughs> you should do Peppa Pig. Uh, I'm sure that was on there too, though. Uh, no, man. So look up Jaws on the NES. Uh, I'm sure you have it on your um preservation devices at home. And uh, it's a super short game. I want to say it's under an hour. That
1: or... Uh I was really looking at Monster in my pocket. We all know how Ryan oh feels about Monster God. in my pocket.
0: That actually be pretty cool though to speed run that. Yeah. All right, well let's uh did we have a discussion topic this uh, week? No, nope, we didn't. No, we did not. Is there
1: anything that crossed your mind that we should <laughs> Well, we can about? we can talk about what we're going to be talking about this week. So this week in the news there was a lot, but this is what we're covering. Microsoft is getting ready to release games for Sony and Nintendo consoles. Uh game is getting out of the pre-owned games game, and uh, we should all be asking ourselves the big question, how long will we really own our games?
0: Sounds good. Well, I guess let's dive into it then. Uh, yeah, I didn't have any, like, discussion topics per se. Yeah, so nothing,
1: think... nothing burning in a hole in my pocket either. Yeah, or uh, maybe a
0: monster. Okay, so... Uh... <laughs> sorry. Oh, there's a fire monster in my pocket. (laughs) That's what that is. Uh, I was thinking of Frankenstein, but okay. Uh, So the first one here is Microsoft confirms plans to release first party games across all platforms, including PlayStation. Uh, This is by Muhammad Ali Bari at Twisted Voxel. Uh, So yeah, basically we have seen a few things out there, uh, little hints and such like, um, God, what's the, uh, I don't know why I just had like a brain fart all of a sudden. The uh, rhythmic game hi-fi rush mm. right so hi-fi rush apparently when it was first being created or before it was released had you know ratings information for playstation on there and other consoles so people have seen that and are like oh that means hi-fi rush is coming out and there wasn't a confirmation but now we're getting more information from xbox representatives that they are looking at other platforms to put these games on and so like ryan like brian said and myself here including playstation so you know, I think when I when I really think about this, it makes sense. And it goes back to what we've been saying many times in the past. This is likely the last Xbox console, or at least I've been saying it.
1: And Microsoft is really going to start digging into this big it's studio persona. It's definitely not the last Xbox console because they've already basically announced that they're going to start the next gen in 2027. So there's at least one more after this. We don't know what the the size and shape and modem yeah. will be of that like that might not have any physical games on it at all maybe and it it's might a... just be an alternative box you can play yep. to buying
0: a playstation one well, so we saw things a long time ago with something that could be put into the tv that would allow your tv to that play that little those. thing
1: phil had on the background in some of those uh
0: like webcasts that he did yeah so like alternative like so when i think console i think like big brick console that can put discs and all of that like, that's only half the consoles now yeah, exactly. It's true. Put so, a,
1: no, it's let it. So you can't put a disc in half of the Xboxes. You can't put a disc in half of the Playstations. And you can't put a disc in any Nintendo.
0: Well, you can put a cart. So cart and disc. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, what I mean, physical media. So point being is that we have seen hints of this over the last year, year and a half of they're buying up these big studios. You know, they're working kind of close of Nintendo here and there. Um, you know, when it comes to what we said that. You know, those specs that were released a long time ago are really, I guess, trademark filings and such for a specific device that could go into a TV. Like all of these different things have been put in put into market as hints in a sense that like this is coming. Like I I can see Microsoft being the big publisher that is putting out all these games across all of these different companies. You know, we're going to see we'll see Game Pass just as it is with Netflix. Right. All the TVs will have access to it. Your game consoles will have access to it. Your phone will have access to it. Like You're just going to be able to play Game Pass wherever you go, and Microsoft games will be there. And in terms of physical media, if it still remains in the next generation or two generations, their games will be produced as likely Xbox Studios, whatever it may be, and that'll be out of market as well. That's how I see the future going with this.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we're going to have kind of some similar discussion across a couple of these articles today, but one thing I'll bring up here and now is you know, Xbox, they play on a different timeline than what you and I think of, but it's not so unsimilar. So, you know, Xbox is not necessarily focused just on what's happening here and now, but how they can take advantage of the marketplace in the future. Them being primarily a software company, and that's what they're comfortable with, you know, once they get away from having to compete for and take market space and attract. You know, they just had their Xbox Developer Direct last week. Um, lots of great games showing off there. Lots of first-party internal studio things. That's what they're really focused on. But they did take a moment during that time to showcase the new um, Mana game and their partnership with Square that they're really trying to push forward because they've been at such a deficit with, you know, JRPGs, you know, internationally. But they have a really poor, you know, buy-in rate in like the Japanese marketplace. So once they don't have to worry about competing for space and being the box that's in the house and they can just get back to being a software company and getting their titles out everywhere and just making money off of selling titles. Like that's going to be a way easier way to get into, you know, the Japanese market and into people's hands and get them playing their games. As opposed to trying to get them to pay that upfront commitment to getting a whole another console just to get access to a few games. Well,
0: think about the the cost savings as well. You know, you don't have to produce a, a box now, right? You yeah. R and D
1: with, savings alone.
0: Yeah, you don't have to deal with any of that anymore. You know, it's it's
1: more so how do you advertise Game Pass, right? How do you get? And you don't have Game... to take the flak for making decisions anymore. Like, what's backwards compatible? What's You know, all the things that people complain about running, like, Xbox Live. Like, I complain all the time about the tier list and stuff between Game Pass. But, like, if it was just out there, that's the other. That's whoever owns the boxes problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It makes so much more sense for them to go that route. And, you know, what's? I was just thinking about this as we're talking, too. It's what would the future have looked like if the original Xbox had a DVD drive added to it as well? Didn't it? No. As far as I know, it didn't. Oh, I mean, maybe it did. Maybe I thought it, you could buy that controller. You could, but I, I don't think it was, yeah, I mean, look it up. I don't think it, it had a DVD drive. And then really if you, cause that's the, the big thing that everybody brings up, right? Is when it comes to PlayStation two, the major reason that people bought it and how many were sold is because it had a DVD drive, right? Like that's why it was in so many households. So if Xbox had that same type of, uh, you know, hardware, would it you have need
1: the Xbox DVD movie playback kit remote and receiver is the console. Didn't play DVDs without it. There you go. Yep. So
0: in terms of turnkey and being able to be, you know, an easy plug and play situation, PlayStation two, of course, had the upper hand there. Microsoft had its hoops and things he had to go through to make it work. So if Microsoft would have had, let's just say even footing with PlayStation, what would we be looking at today in terms of market share? I do question that. Yeah, it's... Because it's not like PlayStation to PlayStation 1 and then Xbox came out to PlayStation 2. So it's not like there was a major... Like, yeah, they had a a foothold in the market because of the amount of consoles sold in comparison to the N64. But a third player coming in with the Dreamcast, like, what does that market look like if even both of those, even if Dreamcast has a DVD player, what does that market look like?
1: Well, but I mean, like... So the 360 was like the most successful Xbox console.
0: Yeah. And it, and what's funny enough is the PlayStation 3 was the worst performing PlayStation console. And it still beat out the best performing Xbox console.
1: Yeah. So it's like Xbox has been in this position and they've been very open with it over the last year saying, hey, you know, we're not number one. We're not number two. We're like barely number three in this market when you compare us to Sony and Nintendo and like the numbers that they do. And like, you know, there are people that are like really hardcore Xbox people, but I just feel like the table they're eating off of is not equal to the table that Nintendo and Sony fans are eating off of. And they've done a lot to change that in the last few years. And they're really starting to ramp that up a lot more now trying to get like one banger game out a quarter and support game pass and prop up everything. And just All of that really long term goes the way of being a publisher, getting those games on other things. Because besides just Hi Fi Rush, there's been a lot of rumors lately of Sea of Thieves, which is hugely popular. You know, one of those live service games that hit and stuck and has done really well. Um, You know, I played some of that one myself and I really enjoyed my time with it. They've done a lot of cross promotions over the last couple of years as well so getting that out that would fit so perfectly on switch and playstation to bring more people into that ecosystem and connect them with their you know other people that are playing on xbox and maybe get them to push towards looking at other titles in the future that they haven't been able to play because they've been walled off
0: yeah and you know and physical media in general has not been really a strong point for microsoft regardless i mean if i don't know if you saw recently but Apparently Walmart is going to be axing their Starfield copies. Physical copies of Starfield are actually going to get reduced down to three cents a pop and they're going to be trashed. Like that's happening soon. I kind of want to get one. They're not going to sell it at three cents. It has a sale block on it. I've gotten lucky a few times in the past. You find an associate that doesn't know any better and they're saying, oh, well, that's weird. It won't let me sell it. Oh, well, it says three cents right here. I should be able to buy it, right? Like generally, if you find somebody that doesn't know, you can buy it. Um, but it's very rare. Usually Just it's sent a Just slip them
1: a Washington. Tell them to keep the change. <laughs> and I'm talking about the hard Washington. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a 22 cent tip. That is a 22. <laughs>
0: I mean, you think about it. That's like what uh 10 times uh the, you're, you know making 10 times profit there. In fact, sell me four copies of Starfield and I'll give you four what maybe a paper Washington.
1: Yeah. <laughs> My God, I would love to walk into a store with a dollar bill and walk out with like 30 copies of starfield <laughs> yeah I mean, here you go my good man well that's how
0: i got copies of uh Octopath traveler a few years ago i got them for 10 bucks a piece because they were reduced oh you pricing. got me one too yeah i picked you up one for 10 bucks so uh but yeah so physical media not the strong suit for microsoft but you know let's look at um Our next article here, which is uh, Tom Gherkin at BBC, and it looks like Chris Valance as well on this one. So, Game, to stop selling pre-owned titles. Not GameStop, Game, the UK-based retailer for used video games. So, basically, they're GameStop.
1: Yeah, I had heard about this earlier this week, and then when I was putting the outline together, I turned to John, like, gobsmacked in my face, thinking that I read GameStop and missed some huge announcement.
0: Well, so when I pulled up the article the other day, that was the first thing that went through my mind. I was like, whoa, wait a second. Like, what's (laughs) happening here? And I actually clicked through. And as I'm reading the article, I'm like, oh, it's not GameStop. It's some company named Game. But I think it's still relevant for here in the U.S. with the main reason being, um, you know, if you have a major retailer across the pond that is not going to be selling pre-owned titles here pretty soon, that's going to spread.
1: Well, I mean, forget just pre-owned. Like Best Buy is already talking about not selling new games. And Walmart as well. Yeah, so it's like games... It's so crazy that they can be the biggest media on the planet and you're not really going to be able to get your hands on it. And I know that they still sell DVDs to whoever still buys DVDs because those people exist. Um, They're not me anymore. (laughs) But this is a... I don't know. This is one of those things that we're all going to kind of have a reckoning with over the next 10 years, like what you're going to be able to physically buy and not anymore based on, you know, what they're deciding is worth printing. Like you may still be able to get like physical special editions for games and stuff, but those don't even come with the discs now, now, anyways, you'll just get a code for the game with it. But I keep hearing this argument and it is represented in here because they have a rivalry with a company called Sex C-E-X, uh, that sells like used electronics and, and the like, so including pre-owned games and stuff, and they're like, they're giving all that business up. And I've heard people say the same thing about like GameStop here. So if they stopped doing the used game marketplace, I mean, they're basically giving up that entire revenue stream and every aspect of it to, I mean, in the US here, mom and pa shops and like chains like Bookmans and whatever might be your, you know, regional equivalent of whatever Bookmans is. But like, there's not any national big chain buy and sell kind of place for that type of media here once you get rid of GameStop.
0: Yeah. And it's unfortunate too, because like GameStop generally with their used prices, they kind of set the tone, right? For what those games are valued at in a used market standpoint, um, along with eBay to an extent, I mean, it depends on rarity of the title, but if you start letting places like Bookman's and mom and pop shops kind of control that narrative of like what the game is worth in the used market, that's going to really mess things up for collectors out there for used titles. And I mean, I speak from experience on that. I mean, you, and, and other collectors that are listening too. I mean, you go into some of these mom and pop shops and they're 20, 30% above eBay prices, right? Because they kind of have to be to an extent. But when you go into a GameStop and you're looking for a decent title, you're going to get a decent price most times mm-hmm. for that game, you know? Or if you go on eBay, you might find it for a decent price in there too. But mom and pop shops, I mean, it's small businesses. They got to make up the money somehow, right? So their prices are generally higher, which is going to suck if the majority of used games are coming from those types of shops, unfortunately. And I love mom and pop shops. I love supporting local, but sometimes the prices are outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's uh, let's go into this next piece here. Uh, so, should we give up owning games? And uh, this is a number of people. Uh, it looks like it's uh, Tenor Hussein, Lucy James, Richard L. Uh, we have Jean Sepke. I think it is, and Jess Howard, along with Tom Castle at Gamespot. This was a lot of contributors to this particular piece. So, if you want to. Tevis this one off here.
1: Yeah, so this was kind of inspired by uh, some conversation apparently from the GameSpot uh, staff talking about you know some discussion with Ubisoft recently, and during this Ubisoft event, I mean Prince of Persia Lost Crown is coming out. People are really excited for this, but there's no like physical game for this, and there's a few things that are not getting physical releases uh you know outside of ubisoft recently like alan wake and that's kind of what they reference in the top of this uh i'll kind of set the picture the way they do here but they say you know picture it's the year 2045 and you want to show your future partner child pal your favorite game of 2023 alan wake 2 you've still kept your trusty playstation 5 around waiting for nostalgia to inspire you to dust off the old console and boot it up once more. But as you do, you discover you don't have Alan Wake 2 installed on your system and the PlayStation Store no longer supports PlayStation 5. So this is kind of the nightmare scenario that we're all afraid that Microsoft and everybody is rushing towards as quickly as possible, is getting out of that physical games media. I mean, basically the physical game is just a license for you to be able to play the title. You don't really own what's on there, but for all intents and purposes, the way that the law and reality work can be two different things. Like, you can own a game, put it on a computer, mod it, do all kinds of stuff. Like, as long as you're not selling it for profit, you're pretty much fine. So, this is setting up that same conversation that we've all been having in our minds of when is it going to happen? Like, when are we going to kind of be forced to draw the line or, you know, have an internal reckoning of, All right, anything before 20XX is a game that I could potentially chase down and play. Anything after that is a gamble. And that's just kind of how the future will be until, you know, they have some kind of perfect archiving of all digital content that exists for posterity. Which, I mean, it could happen, but it's never going to capture everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: and to your point, right, if if you download a game and it's on your system, you know, it, do you have to have server access to play it, right? And that's also something to consider, too. Ten years from now, those servers are down, right? And so, okay, well, now I guess I'm not playing, you know, this game, even though it's installed on my computer because I have no way of accessing it, right? I just can't play it anymore. I mean, unless you had your own server, I guess. Um, but it, it does open up a question of, like, how easy is it also going to be? to play some of the, or how hard is it going to be to play some of these games in the future? Right. Even if you can, let's just say hypothetically, you can make your own server. You can do all these things. The hoops that people will have to jump through to play certain games is going to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So it would be great if they could have some sort of like archive of digital games where you can play them and, and whatnot. But I just don't see them doing that. I see them making as difficult as possible to be able to make as much money as I can. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and, I guess one other thing to kind of point out here is that with the, like as more companies begin to do this, a lot more of those companies like I am 8-bit, premium edition games, super rare games, limited run games, and Barry Corenza, premium edition had noticed a while back, like as they start phasing out physical media, it actually hurts businesses like that that are producing the physical media copies uh, for some of these companies because well, now your consoles aren't going to even support it at that point. So like there's a death of an entire other segment of the business, which is physical indie games as well. So it's just really disappointing what this future holds uh, for used games in general. And you know, Ubisoft is, you know, I-, I think I'm along the lines of like at this point, boycott Ubisoft. If that's like their mindset and the direction they want to go, like just start boycotting this stuff that was loud you just dropped that phone and made a lot of noise here on the yeah podcast. i've
1: been dropsies today <coughs> so yeah it's uh i mean but that's the thing like so it's ubisoft who's not publishing one game now but like what are you going to do? Just boycott everybody that plays games and then never play games again because no, they don't release physical copies?
0: Boycott Ubisoft. Like, them specific. Like if they're not going to be
1: releasing physical but copies. But they like, do release some physical copies. Some, it's just not this
0: one game. If they go into
1: this mindset of like, okay, it's But performing. are you going to do that for every company? And just never, like, once they stop selling physical games, you're just not going to play new games anymore? I got 2,000 games, dude. I you just bought a digital
0: copy of Power World. I did because I wanted to play it on my PC specifically.
1: So, okay, there's a line right there. Like, you can't own a physical PC game. But that's it doesn't a, exist.
0: That's not a game specifically that, say, 10 years from now, I'm going to say, man, I really want to boot up that game I'm sure it. Power World will be accessible 10 years from I'm now. Sure if, it their, will
1: if their success is going know, anywhere near where we think it is. I'm, I'm
0: just saying, like, in general, that's a title that I, if it disappeared off the face of the earth, I wouldn't care, right? But there might be other people that care. Right. And so it's up to them, like if they want to boycott it or not. With Ubisoft, I think it's more so the dangerous mindset of like, we're just not gonna do physical anymore. Like PC and Steam, but it's a lot of happen. but a lot of the games that are on PC and, and Steam and Epic and such, right? They go in with the mindset of like, this is just going to be a digital only title. And PC has been digital only for many, many years. When you think about PlayStation consoles and Xbox and Nintendo and going digital only it's been physical for many 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 years. And there's the aspect well, of backwards Well, but Ubisoft isn't
1: a first-party developer. They're a third party. They don't no, even have a box. Why should they need to make a game for a box they don't even produce? Is that their fault? Yeah, I guess I see your point on that. Yeah. Like it would be different if Sony was like, "Well, I mean, Xbox does it all the time now. Like there you can't buy a physical copy of Hi-Fi Rush, I don't think." I don't know, can you? I don't think so. I'm pretty Probably sure not. it's digital I don't
0: think only. You can, Yeah. But it wasn't an indie-based game initially when it came out. So small publisher, no, or not publisher, but small developer, no likelihood of publishing it as a physical copy. I don't know. But I I see your point. I mean, I get it. And I do get it, and I get the reason why they would do physical media. We talked about it earlier. I mean, not, not physical. Why they would do digital only, and it's the same point of Microsoft, right? Why release your games in a physical basis if you're going to make more money by doing it on a digital front. It makes complete sense. I totally get it. Now, as far as like new games in the future, there are certain lines that I draw. PC is one of them because there's certain titles that I just can't get on a physical console that I can play and own and all of that. Like it's gotta be on there. But to that point, I could technically sell that steam key right now for power world. When I'm done with it, there's websites that I could sell the steam key. And so I technically do own that game. I own that copy. So as long as the servers are good, it's all fine. So I don't know it. it, We're in a weird phase right now where it's like, there's still that love for physical media, but it's disappearing right before our eyes. And so do we let it go? Do we not? Do we fight for it? Which involves things like boycotting. It involves things like not purchasing, uh, you know, future games that are digital only and only purchasing ones that physical copies. It's a very weird situation right now, I think, for a lot of collectors out there and a lot of gamers in general. All right. Uh, let's dive into uh, our inflation deflation for the week, and that's going to be Power World. So it was developed by Pocket Pair. It was published by Pocket Pair, and it was released in, well, a few days ago since we're recording this podcast. Uh, so January of 2024, It was, or it is an action-adventure survival game. The reception is really a massive success i think it's sold uh, a million copies it's got like 430,000 active players right now on steam like they're hitting all of their peaks right now of course it's because the title is new um but uh, you know we played a little bit of it and uh in general it's a survival in a world full of cute creatures and guns it's uh, pretty much pokemon meets rust meets anything open world um with the ability to kind of morph your character the way that you want them to look and uh craft different items capture to different pals in the world use them to help you fight and then of course there's co-op and such online as well so there's a lot going for this game uh it's not you know just a rip off of pokemon as everybody uh claims it to be it's i would say it's a rip off of a lot of things it's taking inspiration from a lot of different titles that are out in the market uh to create what realistically what we want is a pokemon game right like this is what Pokemon should be. It should be crafting different things, uh, which you kind of get to an extent with uh, like RKS and such. Um, you know, being able to craft different items, go out into this open world and capture different Pokemon. But this, I mean, you're beating these creatures, these pals, like with your fists or any weapons you have. You're crafting essentially a Pokebox, uh, four of them to heal. You're crafting a station where you can. Uh, make different things. There's a lot of survival aspects like rust where you're punching trees to get wood, punching stones to get stone, and so on. so there there's a lot of cool elements there for the survival component. And even one of the levels that we fast warped to was cold. And you know, as your character is freezing and losing health, it's like, oh, I see a fire. Let me run to that fire because it's nighttime, it's cold, et cetera. And you had to take those certain steps to make sure that your character was fine. So, In what we played, dude, uh, I know we only played like 30 minutes of this game, but I felt that I got a lot out of this to say that this is a game that I'm very interested in jumping into further. Um, It's a game that has a lot of elements that I've grown to love. I love survival. I love crafting. And, you know, I grew up in an era, as did you, of loving Pokemon and capturing monsters and using them to fight. And this has a lot of that already built in.
1: Yeah, I think that when people talk about POW World as just being like a Pokemon ripoff or something, I mean, we may have kind of had some impression of that leading into its release. But I mean, having played it, and I'm sure, you know, having seen a lot of it out there now, we can really say that, you know, the Pokemon-esque aspect of it is just a small portion of the game. I mean, this is so much more like so many other games than pokemon the fact that there's monsters running around that you can catch in i mean that's a genre you know like pokemon may have been the one that blew it up but i don't even think pokemon was really the one that started that genre so like by this point like what this game is is like way more survival crafting kind of game with like a pokemon element thrown on top kind of like when they had like the pokemon minecraft mod Back in the day, like that's more the experience you're getting here. I mean, from everything I've seen, I mean the Pokemon don't evolve, so that's a whole track that Pokemon did that this game doesn't. It goes the breeding route instead, which I think like the Monster Hunter games or um, Monster, uh, uh, Monster Dragon Warrior Monster games do. So, you know, it maybe it has more in common with those games than Pokemon, honestly, because you're like fighting. Against monsters yourself, like that's a lot more Dragon Warrior than Pokemon. You never run up and punch a Pokemon. So I think that this game is, I mean, just first of all, applause to how well their launch has been and how much, you know, success and word of mouth. And just like, I, I don't know what their marketing budget must be behind this, but like, I definitely have seen a lot of it over the years leading up to this release and for it to be hitting this huge and not flopping in spite of like some major studio releases like Redfall and um I don't know, any number of things last year that should have done way better than what actually happened based off of our initial looking out at it. Uh It's really surprising. And yeah, when me and John were playing it, I was like, this is easily something I could just sit down and do. Like I could just punching rocks and check marking off things and eventually get to the point where i've got like a human farm selling off parts <laughs> yeah i mean i definitely want to dive into it further
0: and and see more of like the one the single player mode and what that's all about um uh my friend justin actually uh who's been the podcast he he picked up a copy of this too and so he was just asking he's like when are we playing right so i I don't know anything about the co-op. I mean, I kinda went into this blind, only knowing, hey, this is really hyped up. It's just blowing up the servers. Everyone's excited about it. And it was like, all right, this is a game that's on everybody's mind. Let's talk about it. Let's play it and see what the hype is about. So I think we'll we'll talk more about this and you know, or I'll talk more about it, I guess, in the near future once I can kind of dig into it. But as I've stated in the beginning of the episode and other episodes, my mind right now is continuing to play Tales of Symphonia and dive into that further. Okay. So let's go into uh, brass tax here which is honestly very short since it yeah. just came out. <laughs> yeah. So where is it available? It's available on Game Pass and it's available uh, so on certain tiers of Game Pass and then you can get it on Steam, Epic, all that good stuff. It doesn't have a physical release right now. Digital PC, so Steam it's 29.99, but there's a sale right now until January 25th, and you can use a code that we don't have. Uh, so it's a free code that's on there. I'm just kidding. There's no code. Uh, you just go. It's $26.99, and uh, you dive, and it's advertised at that price point on Steam. Uh, and that's what I picked it up at. If you want to spend $31.99 is what I think it was, uh, you can get the DLC, which is a soundtrack for the game, added to that. So if you want to support them for a little more money, uh, you can do so in that respect. I just did the $26.99, and I'm excited to see what more of this game holds. Uh, as far as a rating um, for inflated or deflated,
1: I mean, we didn't play a whole ton, but I would say right now it's just right. You I know, mean, it's, it's the only price you can get it at. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you want to wait out for, like, a Steam sale next year, year or this summer or whatever.
0: Well, l- let's look at this point. Like, people want to compare it to Pokemon, right? So, if you're paying $60 for, in my opinion, a very subpar um you know, open world type game where you're catching monsters and doing whatever else story wise is involved in Pokemon. You're paying sixty bucks for that. This game is twenty six ninety nine right now. It's normally thirty. I would say it's actually deflated. Mm-hmm. You're getting a lot more in this title than you would get in any other Pokemon game. Graphically, does it leave something to be desired? Yeah, I I would say that this is not exactly the most graphically amazing game like we put it on epic settings on my computer and it was like oh, oh my, it looked cool. good it looked good yeah but it wasn't like mind-blowing right yeah i like mean it's not a
1: it's not a final fantasy game
0: yeah so i mean graphically it's all right it's not bad um and it worked just fine so i would say deflate it. i think that this is a title that on any console if nintendo had this stamped with the nintendo approval or seal whatever it may be it would be 60 bucks all day long no questions asked So I think $30 and right now $26.99 totally deflated.
1: Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, this has been episode 270 of the Game Deflators podcast. Uh, We're going to be reviewing something else next week. We'll decide at a later time. But my name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.